What is this song? It sucks. This is not this is not what I was trying to do when I put together this playlist. doing welcome aboard it's sunday this is more of what i was planning on from a music perspective when uh, i was firing up this firing up this playlist i wanted a little more thunder (laughs) i got it now bring it on all right everybody so uh as usual this is going to be the sunday live show i like to call the lawn care help desk it's been a little bit since i've done one of these so you have to bear with me i'm gonna be a little bit nervous actually i think i'm not might do something a little different. I know the lawn care season's winding down, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get started, and uh, and I'll definitely ask answer any kind of questions you have. I've got no problem doing that. And then uh, I th- I thought uh, maybe we just kind of hang out. We just talk, kind of kind of go back in the roots where we just get on here and just have us a good old conversation. And who knows what we end up unpacking, uncovering, and getting into. No board, damn it! Oh, I gotta be careful. Somewhat what I say. I can't. I can't get into too much of the nitty gritty, but I figured, what the hell? Why not? Why not? It's Sunday. I, this was this was the playlist I was trying to trying to get going on up here. There was a there was a new one here. Stop it, Lushy. Uh, there was another one here, I, and this is a, a new one. 
on this list. So let, let me let me switch over here. What's everybody asking about dormant seating? Uh, Money B22, you're the second person who's asked about dormant seating. Yes, it is possible. My take on it is that it's just risky uh, because you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get until the next year. So until the next spring. So if it's one of those things that you want to get a jump start on it and you don't want to have to fiddle far with it in the spring, go ahead. Because here's the reality of the situation. The chances of it germinating now are going to be pretty low. I don't know where you are, Money B, but, uh, you know, there's you might put together a stretch where everything lines up and, yeah, you can get it up. I mean, it's probably not going to grow a whole lot or anything like that, but you might at least be able to get it up. So the majority of everything that's going to occur with dormant seeding is going to occur next spring. So, you know, there you go. Ben Grissom here. Works at a tire factory that uses industrial amounts of powder carbon. If I bag some of it up and brought it home and spread it, would it help? Uh, it, 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 so what you're talking about there is going to be carbon black, right? And you're going to have some different impurities in carbon black that uh, you're not going to see in other carbon sources, right? Um, it's not it's not to say that some people go for it, some people do it. You know, basically all carbon black is is you take rubber or uh, yeah, you take rubber and you pyrolyze it at a very high temperature, right? So oxygen-free environment, uh, you know, 500C, 600C, 1100C, 1200C, something like that. And the problem with that is that if there's any unpyrolyzed material that makes it through there, well, you know, it could be, it could be causing more problems than good. So carbon black is one of those things that's not usually recommended in the united states recommended in europe outside of industrial uses outside of industrial uses what's up aldo dude out aldo it's so funny last night when we were when we were chatting on the on the camera i could not remember your name for any reason whatsoever i have <laughs> it was brutal man i did not take the vols loss very well so uh i apologize about that i i i legitimately thought your name was Lavo in my own twisted mind last night it was hilarious and then it registered me what what was going on and what was happening i was uh i was pretty oblivious to it if there's any vol fans in the chat right now i apologize it's just not you know it's not a fun time to be a Vol fan. You know, college, what is this song? College football is one of those things that I look forward to every year. Uh, yeah, you know, living in the South and uh, you know, going to an SEC school, that's that's just what you do. I mean, that is, that is what you do. And so to have such an abysmal team year after year after year after year is just, oh, it starts to wear on you. It starts to wear on you. Brutal, brutal. I okay, we got a bunch of Ohio State fans in here. I see. Oh yeah, that's right, Telly went to Auburn. Hey, <laughs> Telly, you've never had to experience loss like a uh, like a Vols fan though. So you know, I, I it, it's it's not the same thing. It is not the same thing. 
Y'all continually somehow managed to pull seasons out of your rear end, even when Gus Malzahn, Gus Malzahn is on his way out or whatever the case may be. I mean, just absolutely managed to get one done. It's unbelievable. Look at all these Ohio nerds in here. Golly. What is it? What is it? A Ohio State University? Something like that? Uh, Ohio State University? Because it sure as hell ain't the Ohio State University. <laughs> I apologize. I'm, I'm digging. I'm digging my own grave over here. Go Indiana. There we go. Well, we got some, we got some obscure, obscure teams coming in. A Buckeyes fan, but also Detroit Lions fan. So I even know. <laughs> yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah, you do. Uh, look at, look at this. Uh, I have experienced a lot of loss this season. Mm, Penn State. Yes, yes. Y'all are going through something very difficult right now, and I hate it for you, Michael Lane. I know that's tough. I definitely know that's tough. So, like I said, we'll go ahead and kind of get this thing kicked off the way I normally do this. Now, I'm going to preface this what I normally do versus what I'm going to do today, or kind of be, I'll do a bridge of two different things, right? So, normally, the way I do is that you ask questions. I do my best to provide answers. A couple things I need to get out there is that, number one, I am human. I am fallible. I make mistakes. Sometimes I will think we're talking about a cool season grass and make a recommendation for a, war for a cool season grass that is not applicable to a, a warm season grass. So just understand that I am, I, I make mistakes. I am just like you. Uh, so, you know, not definitely not perfect here. Um, how else? I, I, I normally have a couple other precursors in there. But anyway, like I said, um, if you want to throw a question in the chat, I will do my best to uh, get to it. Understand that when I'm taking questions in the chat, this is all kind of free form. This is unplanned. Uh, there's no script I follow. I literally start at the top of the chat, work my way down to the bottom of the chat. However long it takes me to get there is how long it takes to get there. And we'll just ride uh, and see what happens. Now, what I also said is that I know we're coming to the end of the uh, we're, we're coming to the end of the season here. So I know there may not be a whole lot of turf talk to undergo. And uh, so I thought we may just have a general conversation. We'll just kind of shoot the breeze and see see what we end up uh, unpacking, uncovering, uh, getting involved with. <laughs> because why not? Because why not? Tiffany says she's going to have a double whiskey. Neat. Thank you. Thank you. May or may not have had one of those yesterday. But I think it was only one that I had. I don't know. Something like that. Go balls! <laughs> uh, so I'll go ahead and get started here. Uh, like I said, when we when we got kicked off, uh, the first the first kind of comments that were coming in were dormant seating. I guess people are you know are going through this time and the, and he, there's a couple things I want I want to preface when we hear about uh, dormant seating is that. Oh, I may have a couple of bare spots. Uh, it's not as thick as I would like it to be. And here's here's where I'm gonna kind of ask you to take a step back and uh, and just relax for a minute before you start throwing down a whole bunch of additional seed. And the reason why I caution you against that is because you don't want the density of that turf to be so tight just from seed coming up. 
uh, that there's no space for that plant to mature, right? Uh, so, you know, if, if you've got, you know, two inches, three inches, four inches in between seedlings that you have come up, it, that's fine. That is plenty of density because those plants, as they mature, they're going to, they're going to, uh, spread and overtake a large area. You know, you may have a, uh, a four inch or six inch diameter plant out of that one seed. So just understand, give it a little bit of space to, breathe before you start putting down 50 60 pounds per thousand square feet of seed and then wondering when you get pythium uh early summer what happened to your grass right so just give it a, give it a minute to breathe and relax and make it through winter and then uh, have the opportunity to to uh spread out and and really spread its wings and fly in the spring it's just one thing I noticed that when I stopped going in and trying to get things as dense as possible, you know, going into uh, winter, typically the more success I would end up having on that lawn the next year. Um, those seed recommendations are there for a reason. Now, if you've got a two foot by two foot area with no grass growing on it, yeah, go. that's definitely some, something to go with. No problem there. Even a one foot by one foot area. Yeah, by all means, get you some seed down in it. But if you're talking about trying to fill in an area that's two inches, let the spring do that. Let the spring do that. Those plants will take a big, deep breath in and, and kind of, you know, eat up, eat up some of that space and it will work out. So uh, just, you know, if, if you don't have to do it, don't do it kind of, uh, kind of a deal there. You know, I, I think that's just... It's an important thing that I see a lot of people get up in arms about and end up throwing way, throwing down way more seed than they necessarily need to. Uh, Harry said, can you discuss root development and how cut height affects it? Uh, yeah, and let me kind of preface this too, that it has more to do with the frequency of cut. Yeah. You, you, okay, you've kind of got this triangle, right? You've got the frequency of cut. You have the cultivar of grass you're growing and uh, and, and actually the, the method that you're using to cut the grass, right? All of those are going to affect root performance, right? So you have to understand that when you cut grass, if you're maintaining it at a low height of cut, uh, you are providing uh, a, an injury to that plant. And the severity of that in injury has to do with the quality of the cut and how much of the plant you're removing at one time. So if you're constantly shocking the plant by coming in and just scalping the crap out of it and letting it go up to four inches and coming in and scalping the crap out of it, chances are you got a little shock and awe going on there and you're not going to have a super happy plant. On the converse side of things is that you may have a, uh, you know, we'll take a look at bent grass, for instance. Uh, how many people have seen 8-inch, 10-inch roots on, on bent grass? I, I know I have. And how do you do it? Because that's maintained at 100 thousandths of an inch or 120 thousandths of an inch or 185 thousandths of an inch, depending on the time of year or what, you know, in the cultivar you have. Um, and you can still have those kind of roots. But, you know, you look at the equipment that you're cutting with and you look at the frequency of your cut, right? And you're matching your height of cut to the abiotic stressors that you're facing, right? So if you're under significant abiotic stress, 
um, it might make more sense to go ahead and raise that high to cut. And obviously, in a greens perspective, where you're playing on it as a uh, as a, as a golf green, as as um, for you know sporting type of, of situation, high performance type situation there, that is when you will see that uh, golf course superintendents will raise their high to cut. And other periods, you know, where you're alt, uh, uh, very favorable uh, growing conditions, you'll see them drop their high to cut. So, you know, it's it can have an impact on it, but it, it has more to do with the cultural practices surrounding um, your uh, is, is surrounding your your maintenance plan that will affect the root development. I hope that kind of makes sense. It makes sense, Harry, and I'm not dancing around it too much there. Um, but it's each individual turf type is going to have a different set of factors that affect it, and thus why I'm kind of giving it just broadly as part of a, a triangle approach. So yeah, uh, I hope I hope that makes sense. Uh, let me see here. I'm kind of bouncing around. Uh, ideal soil temps for dormant seeding. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's not something I've really just had to do. Uh, there's times where I've put down seed too late and, uh, and it just, you know, it didn't come up in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And then all of a sudden in January, it just explodes out of nowhere. Or in March, it comes up out of nowhere. And I'm like, golly, I forgot I even put seed on that and look how well it's doing. So, uh, but as far as soil temps, I mean, I, I really, the whole point of it being dormant seeding is that really the grass is stopped growing. So you're just going ahead and throwing out some seed. Uh, so there's no real soil temp to do it. It's literally just go put down some seed and hope hope for the best that it ends up making it. Uh, that playlist makes me want to fire up an F-16 sim. <laughs> uh, what does your future look like in the turf community? Uh, it looks exactly like it does now. Um, it, you know, I mean, there's nothing. I've, I've got no plans to leave it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I've got, I've still got a lot of different projects that I'm a part of and I'm working on. So there is no reason why I would be doing anything different outside of turf or in being involved in the lawn community over the next, um, uh, foreseeable future. I mean, there's, yeah. So I don't know. Um, you know, eventually when things stabilize, I can't wait to uh, do consistently, you know, more more YouTube videos and stuff like that. And that's actually, um, yeah, I, that will be coming up more as uh, as things kind of begin to stabilize. I'm waiting on a few back end things and in, in, uh, in my personal life to get taken care of. Uh, related to uh, the disaster that is uh, uh, carbon earth in, in as soon as that's all rectified and, uh, and then I can go ahead and start doing these things. But right now I'm just having to be super careful and cautious because of the chaos that's kind of ensued on the back end. And, and, and here's the thing, people are going to speculate that they know what's going on. And unless you hear it from me, I promise you, you have no idea what's going on. Uh, there's, there's few people that, that, you know, are, are aware that, you know, work with us day in and day out. And, uh, and that's, that's just the way it's going to be. And that's the way it's going to have to be for the time being because of the types of people that are involved. Can't get into too much specifics there, but I can confirm that it is a complete and total, uh, uh, crap show, uh, shit show, if you will, 
And, uh, and so I've just, I have to be very careful in what I say. Uh, so nothing can be held against me <laughs> in the court of law or whatever the case may be, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but no, I have no, no plans whatsoever to leave. Um, everything I have in my pipeline right now is all related to the industry. And, uh, and that's just how it's going to be. So whether you want me to go or not, I'm still going to be here. <laughs> uh, new construction, instead of dormant seeding, is it better to plant ryegrass? If so, do you spray it out in the spring and plant fescue or just plant fescue and let the summer kill the ryegrass? JH, uh, if you do plant ryegrass, remember ryegrass is going to have about the same germination window that tall fescue does, right? So it might germinate just a hair cooler, you know, four degrees cooler than fescue, something like that. But it's not going to be some miraculous game-changing thing that you go out and, and seed ryegrass and it's magically going to explode in, in freezing temperatures. That's not going to happen. So in my opinion, uh, if you do want to put down ryegrass, you certainly can, but you have to spray it out before you seed your fescue. You have to. And the reason why that I will always go back to is allelepathy. I have tried seeding fescue into ryegrass. I can't tell you how many times. And it just is not effective because of the allelopathic tendency of ryegrass. Whether you're using perennial ryegrass or annual ryegrass, it doesn't matter. Transitional ryegrass, whatever you want to call it. They are all allelopathic, and therefore, they don't play super well with other seeds on the front end. Now, through repetitive growing in, or if you can get a little bit started and it has the opportunity to spread, like you can play with ryegrass and Kentucky bluegrass that way, because all you need is just a little bit of Kentucky bluegrass, and then it can grow, and it can spread, and then it can spread, and then it can spread. Fescue doesn't do that so uh what happens is, is that you get these individual one kind of random fescue clumps that end up coming up and it just doesn't look good it's not aesthetic and it doesn't function well and then as that ryegrass does die off in the summer you're left with basically nothing left so in my experience and in my opinion definitely kill out the ryegrass and do it early kill out the ryegrass early and then seed your fescue uh brian morales said 700 green effect with microplex on a lawn is that too much iron not looking for dark green just wanted some micronutrients um it, it's all going to be rate dependent uh i'm not super familiar with microplex uh let me do this let me see if i can find a label mm, microplex whoa that is probably not it this may be it microplex multi micronutrient fertilizer uh they have an msds of course they don't have a label when you whenever you need a label you can never have it i don't know if this is it or not uh the manufacturer is ocean agriculture uh this is this is a foreign product this is not a u.s product i doubt this is it I don't know. Uh, it, so it's, it's going to be hard to say because I don't, I don't know the label of it, of what's contained and what the sources are and all that. Chances are you're going to be fine. Um, but I would just run the low rate of each of them. Run the low rate of each of them so that way you don't uh, squirrel that one up. 
Squirrel count. What's up, Jason Trailer? <laughs> um, best thing I could do for a Bermuda lawn in dormancy in North Georgia. And rest in peace, Muschamp. I knew him in real life for a few years. Um, the best thing you could do for a Bermuda lawn in dormancy in North Georgia. Uh, number one is ch test your soil pH and amend with the appropriate amount of lime would be a good one. And outside of that, uh, put down a post-emergent weed control that w for whatever you need to. Uh, put down a pre-emergent weed control if you have not done that. And outside of that, leave it alone. <laughs> Pretty simple. Just leave it alone. Uh, my neighbor was screaming at his outdoor TV last night watching Bama, and they were winning. <laughs> Craig, what is going on? Brisbane, Australia. High 80s here now. Yep, y'all are in the summertime. I just, for anybody that ever wants to go to Australia, just remember that if you could take the uh, uh, the opposite of everything that's going on right now in your life, that is, uh, that is Australia. I'm jealous. I am totally jealous. Let's switch over here to the other screen. What was this? I see Nate Allman over here. Can fertilizer manufacturers blend SOP and MOP to help cut K cost? Yeah, that's no problem at all. Um, those two play just fine together, you know, uh, and, and MOP is going to play fine with all your other inputs too. So it is a possibility. And some, some do that. Uh, but normally, 90% of what you see out there is either going to be SOP or MOP and no kind of combination of the two. That was actually one of the things we considered doing on the front end with Carbon X, but we ended up not doing it because hygroscopicity uh, uh, issues of, of MOP cause too many problems. Growing up in Indiana, you end up being a Notre Dame football fan and Indiana basketball fan. The hell with that. Go IU. <laughs> What's up, Turf Tamer? How are you, Mr. Slayjack? Uh, what is the Carbon X evolution? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, nothing. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a, a placeholder because the, that was... That was supposed to. There, there was a plan in place that was going to that was going to happen, and uh, of course, that just got completely ripped out of our hands. But it doesn't mean it's over. I'll tell you that right now. You know, the, one of the greatest things. You, you know, people talk about how difficult it is to have partners and stuff, and there is no doubt about it. There, it is. It is an extremely difficult thing to do. But the one thing I can say is that the team we have assembled in the U.S. is just unbelievable rock stars. Uh, I've never seen so many people come together and apply so much creativity into getting things moving in the right direction like, like I have over the last, you know, golly, since September 28th, really. Yeah, I would say since September 28th has been, uh, it's just it's just been unbelievable. And a show of force, shock and awe, baby, shock and awe. So I'm actually super excited for what we have coming up in 2021. But uh, yeah, you can you can head over to carbonearth.co and take a look at that. And that's, just understand that's a bunch of nothing. <laughs> Irv Rat 1982, 
Can you talk more about the different biochars? I'm scared to put some down because I heard that it will pull the nutrients from the grass first, then it will take some time to benefit the grass. Yeah, it, it, it that is very possible. And what you have to pay attention there too is your rate. Uh, biochar is not one of those things that you can go put down whenever you want as much as you want. You have to be very strategic about it, right? And it requires just a bit of thought, just a bit of thought, right? And, and what you ultimately should should do if you if you do not want if you want to use a raw biochar, there's there's an added layer of complexity there, right? Um, I always recommend using biochar that's been co-composted with a compost, preferably a nutrient dense compost like a poultry litter, uh, using something that is not nutrient dense. And there are certain manure sources that are not going to be very nutrient dense, like, uh, pig manure is not going to be very, very nutrient dense. Um, the, what is it? What is the other one I'm looking for? Um, uh, cow manure is not very nutrient dense. So it, you, you can co-compost it with that. It's just not going to have as much oomph as it would with something with a little higher density. Um, so anyway, that piece of it, right? Then, uh, oh man, where did your question here go? Oh, okay. Uh, and so if you're going to use raw biochar, the first thing normally I would look at is like, what is the CEC of your soil currently? And if you have a moderate to high CEC, understand that any potential negative effects from applying biochar is going to be much more sensitive much more likely if you already have a high CEC versus if you're starting with a low CEC, right? And the, you have to remember what is a cation exchange capacity? It is basically just the soil's ability to hold on to cations. And what are cations? Uh, potassium is a cation. Magnesium is a cation. Uh, uh, calcium is a cation. Uh, and, and, and so... As it holds on to these things, the, the, the number of binding sites, you know, as you increase your cation exchange capacity using a raw biochar, you're significantly increasing the number of binding sites. So you're going to create a tighter hold on those cations in the soil. And the tighter it holds on to it, the less likely the plant will be able to use it. Now, you have to understand that kind of comes twofold. If you do just enough, you're going to provide a safe haven for those cations to allow more of those cations that you apply ultimately get used by the plant. But if you overdo it, if you overdo it, it can hold on to it too tight to the point where it will not be able to be utilized by the plant. Now, Certain biochars are going to have different characteristics. Some, if it's like from corn stover, you may have, you know, very high anion exchange capacity where it has a very high binding capacity to anions. If you're using almond shells, you may have very high carbon content, high surface area, high cation exchange capacity. You may have the highest cation exchange capacity doing a low temperature softwood like a pine, really, really, really high cation exchange capacity. And in that type of scenario, that's where you want to be careful about the rate you're applying if there is no 
amending done to that biochar. I could honestly spend an entire hour talking nothing about the different variances in biochar and going through different studies to show the different types of, of results you can get from it. Um, just understand that as a general rule of thumb, there's nothing that can be applied again and again and again whenever you want at whatever rate you want and have positive outcomes. Even too much water is a bad thing. It would be the same thing. So now when you start moving into biochar that's been co-composted or charged or whatever lame ass word you want to use to describe it, that's where you get a little bit more forgiveness there because whatever it bonds to, whatever it binds to, it's not going to be nearly as strong because it's already binding to things, right? It's already binding to things. So as that material begins to leach out of that biochar, it becomes available at that point because water percolates through it. It's going to capture those ions in the water, cations in the water. And then as it makes its way into the soil or as roots intertangle with it, it can be taken up by the plant. And those nutrients, a lot of times, are already in the biochar, so they're not reacting with anything in the soil. So it's not like there's a whole lot for it to go adsorb. Adsorption versus absorption. AD versus AB. Adsorb versus absorb. Nate. <laughs> so it's not to say that you can't do it with raw biochar. You certainly can. You certainly can. When this whole thing kicks, trust me, I have put out tons. Now, I, I, when I say tons, I'm saying literally 2,000 pound increments, tons and tons and tons of raw biochar in turfgrass applications, some with success, some without success. There's just a layer of unpredictability there. It's not to say that all raw biochar is going to give you problems every time you put it out. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there's an added layer of complexity when you're using raw biochar that you have to be mindful, mindful of, that you wouldn't need to be mindful of if you simply went with something that had been co-composted. And there's options out there. And you're going to see more of it actually coming out there. That's one of the things we've noticed. And that's one thing that is as carbon earth goes down and, you know, we're, We've got all these different moving pieces and trying to figure out how we're going to uh, get going again. Uh, uh, one of the things we, uh, you start talking to people about different things and you start hearing um, deals in the pipeline, right? There are certain deals in the pipeline that you hear about. And, and I, I will say that's one of the things you will see that more and more of that is going to be coming out as it's becoming more, Socially acceptable that is, is the way I'm going to uh, phrase that. Socially acceptable, whatever that means. I don't know. Uh, I noticed some people in my area have shrubs and ornamentals planted with a stone covering around them. Would you advise against that? Not sure how would how you would feed them unless you foliar spray them. Uh, 
I, I don't know Andy Kelly because it can go either way, right? Um, so it, let me explain. When you say there's a stone covering, is there still ports and vents? Uh, are we talking like in, in, a, in an urban setting where, where you know, they've, they've literally placed the root ball underground so that way people aren't walking over it? And it's got a catch basin to capture water, stormwater runoff, and contain that and use it to grow the trees. Are you talking about when people get out there and um, uh, what is it? You know, when they when they get out there and just put a bunch of stones, like literally uh, replace their mulch with, with stones. Um, because if that's the case, I'm not a big fan of mulching with stones. I, I think that is silly. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a, a good thing to do. And, and a lot of times it has to do with the amount of heat that's held. Um, a lot of times is if they're laying against the, the trunk of the tree, it can create problems. Um, it could be kind of rough there. So he, I, I, I need you to expand just a little bit more on that Andy Kelly, but they have a when you're saying stone, I'm picturing large stones on top of the root ball acting as a a, uh, a mulch mound, and that is not a good idea. Um, and it's one of those things that I've been to lots of arborist uh, presentations where they say, you know, do not do that under any circumstance. And it was actually written into a lot of the city planning procedures here in Knoxville. I know it is in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I think even in Memphis, too. You'll see that if you're ever doing any of these city planning things. You cannot mulch with stones because it causes problems. Uh, whether it's heat. Uh, it just There's lots of different things that can cause problems about it. Curious, what is the proper way to apply Cleary's 3336? Should I water right after or wait until the morning after? My grass usually ends up white and it doesn't seem to wash off. Uh, well, let's see. Mm. I'm not super familiar with the label. It's a broad spectrum fungicide with preventative, curative. Uh, you know when you're any of these like thiophanate methyl even even uh what golly what are the other ones that were pulled off the market oh mancozeb and dacanil they all stained the grass white it was just kind of the what what happened when you when you chose to do those and Unfortunately, that's just kind of that's just kind of the the thing it is. It is systemic. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how this particular mode of action makes its way into the plant, and uh, there's a a lot of different ways that it can potentially happen. So I'm not going to be able to read through all of that right now. But um, after an application, I would say give it 24 hours and then do it. And unfortunately, you're just going to have to deal with the staining uh, that goes along with using Cleary's 3336. If you want to avoid that, use higher spray volumes, higher spray volumes. So, you know, you can still apply the same amount, same rate of thiophanate methyl, but you're using a lot more water to get it down. That will cut down on that staining. 
We're still laying tall fescue sod every day. Should I stop at a certain temperature in Western Kentucky? No, you're going, you're going to be fine. Justin, uh, just go ham with it and you'll be good to go. We still be involved with manufacturing development, some very good fertilizer. Cream always rises to the top. You'll be fine. Yes. Yes. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yes. For sure. What is this? A dog. Stop it, man. Stop it, dude. I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Unnecessary. We'll put you in a damn headlock, Aaron. <laughs> I read on the curve label that it can be used to smoke ryegrass. Can you spray this alone for a complete kill or mix with something like Celsius? Also, would I get pre-emergent effects this way? Yes, you can use it as a standalone. Yes, you do get pre-emergent effects with it. So you want to run, make sure you're running your pre-emergent rate at the rate as listed on the label to be utilized as a pre-emergent. If you're using it at that rate, uh, then yes, you will be you will be good to go. Hey, Simeon, here in Central Texas, we have yet to see a freeze, and so the Bermuda is still alive and kicking. My goodness, can you believe that? I am uh, I am full cheetah pattern in the backyard right now, and I just you know it is what it is. War Eagle, Jonathan Brothers. Ah, ah. We usually have a freeze by now. Any thoughts on the implications of this on the lawn and nutrition? Not really, because how much growth is really taking place right now? Uh, you know, if you're still growing an inch a week or something like that, then yeah, you know, okay, put down another round of fertilizer. No big deal there. Uh, and, but, but if you're not growing that much, you know, you, you base your application rates and you base your application intervals based on the rate of growth that you are getting. And so if you're not getting that rate of growth, you're not pulling anything from the soil. Therefore you don't need to apply anything because nothing's really being using, being used unless it's actively growing. Um, I'm trying to kill off some fescue in my zorgia grass in Atlanta. The zorgia is still partially green and not dormant yet. Is it safe to spray a mazaquin or should I wait until full dormancy? Uh, with a mazaquin, I, I definitely would not spray it in transition. And you're definitely in transition right now. I would not do that. Uh, wait till it goes fully dormant before you make that application. And good luck, because I do not think a mazaquin is going to have the ability to kill fescue clumps. It just in my experience, I've never had good luck with it. So you might. So I don't want to steer you away from it. But if it doesn't work, I will steer you towards a real sulfonylurea like form sulfuron or um, trifloxy sulfuron. What is your take on adding mycorrhizae to the soil? Will fungicides have an adverse effect on them? Yes, kind of. Uh, debatable, right? So in certain instances, there has been a certain amount of infection that has, and when I say infection, I'm using this in a positive way, right? Soil that has become infected with mycorrhizae. Uh, that, uh, uh, the, there's a certain amount of infection that can survive a fungicide application. There is some data out there, but... There's some data out there that says that you knock it back so far, it never recovers. And I don't think that's quite the truth. I think the truth therein lies somewhere in the middle. Yes, it will hamper it, but for a relatively, relatively short period of time before it kind of uh, regenerates. Now, on the second piece of this, 
the other piece of this is uh, by applying mycorrhizae, are you applying anything to the lawn that isn't already there in the soil to begin with? There are certain instances where applying mycorrhizae would probably be a good benefit if you are working in an area that has been completely stripped off. I could see where an application of mycorrhizae would benefit you. I, I think that would be fine. If you're going after a, a lawn that you're renovating or whatever the case may be that's you know two, three years old, chances are you've got plenty of mycorrhizae and you don't need to be supplementing with any anyway, and you don't need to worry about it. So... I wouldn't get too bent up on it. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those that you kind of save it as a tool in the toolbox for one of those specialty types of applications, not something to make part of your program. Uh, Bermuda seeded August 6th in North Carolina came in good. When and what should I spray out the weeds with this winter? Um, me personally, Paul, I wouldn't spray anything until it greens up next spring. That's my experience on it. I've had lots of bad experience messing around with it, especially for late seeding. So me personally, I would wait until next spring and then make an application. And, uh, and then what you choose to go out with there then is based on what you see. So I would probably go out with something like a three-way and trifloxysulfuron is kind of a cleanup application or a three-way and Celsius is a cleanup application. Do you know of any tales of applying potassium at late fall causing snow mold, other diseases research, but, and mostly see no more in throw down K. So, uh, there are certain ones here, and I was it Capoa, Poa annua greens, I believe. Uh, high potassium applications in the fall increase rates of snow mold. I believe that's what it was, and I believe it was Doug Soldat who did that research. Uh, so you may want to look into that. The Lawn Stripes, Doug Soldat. Um, the fall application increasing snow mold. Yeah, I, I, I believe that's what it was. I believe it was. Um, I believe it was on Poa Annua. What is your take on? Oh, wait, I just read that. <laughs> uh, threw down 0.7 pounds of N with AMS a few weeks ago, but didn't throw down KNO3. It, so you're not really growing right now this time of year. So I think you're going to be fine with that. And you should green up very aggressively in the spring next year. Uh, I'll be starting up my pro geese fertilizer production within the next month. Hopefully all the workers return this year and play nice with the new year round chicken crew. Mm, good for you, Kenny. My favorite trash talking trash talker. <laughs> What's up, Deet? I have a new fescue renovation that has several patches of Poa annua. It's like the Poa germinated before the fescue took over, before the tall fescue could get going. Is this common? Causes? Yes, that's very common. And the causes are is that they have the same germination window, uh, you know, Poa and tall fescue. So, Therefore, it's kind of just luck of the draw that when tall fescue is doing really well, germinating and growing from seeds, so is Poa annua. Um, and there's not really anything you can do about that because they are growing in the same window under the same opportunity. So what I would do 
uh, if I were you, is I would look at making ethofumisate part of your program to knock back your POA and get your fescue up and going in that area. Is it too late for seeding tall fescue? High temps are above 50s. Um, if your soil temps are less than 55, your germination percentage is going to be reduced significantly. Now, you can go ahead and put it down and you still might get it to come up. But you have to ask yourself, and this is the part I can't answer, you have to answer this, is if I go ahead and put it down now, I'm taking a certain amount of risk, and am I okay if it doesn't work out as it plans? So if you're spending the last of your lawn budget on the seed and you don't know whether it's going to come in or not, that may not be the best dollar spent. But if you don't care, you got some laying around, go ahead, throw it out and see what happens. And if you got to redo it in the spring, by all means, you got to redo it in the spring. Maybe only half of it comes up. You only have to do half in the spring. Maybe 95% comes up and you only have to do 5% in the spring. See what I'm saying? Uh, Diet Dr. Pepper is indeed the best soda ever. That is for sure. What's up? What's up, Turf Therapy? What are you doing, man? Robert Palmer. <laughs> That's my Turf Therapy song. <laughs> Look, everybody right now, hop on over here and subscribe. Robert's one of my favorite YouTubers to watch because he's one of the most uh, honest and soft-spoken people. Because when he's talking, it's just like, it's relaxing. It's almost like a, a, ASMR. Is that the right one? Is it, did I do that right? I think I did. I think I did it right. Uh, where am I? Where am I? Sorry, I'm not going 100 miles an hour. I just don't feel like going that crazy fast tonight. We need a trigger warning for biochar talk. There's no doubt about it. I don't know enough to use it confidently. Hey, Matt, is pea doing anything in the plant in maturity? My soil is low in pea and wondering what plants are losing because of deficiency. Is it worth to build in soil outside of seeding? Um, if you are, it, it, yes, pea is definitely, pea is involved in pretty much every physiological function in the plant. Um, I mean, just in every aspect of the plant, phosphorus is playing a role. So it is important. Uh, but at the same time, it's also, quote unquote, the riskiest uh, environmentally, uh, because if it moves off target, then that can create a bit of an issue. But I'll tell you this, it's difficult for it to move off target. So if you do have a dense stand of turf, it's not going to be going very far. You see what I'm saying? It's not like if I'm fertilizing my front yard and, uh, and you know, it gets watered in. It's not like magically it's just going to dump out of the bottom of my soil profile into a waterway. It moves very, very slowly, very slowly. And very quickly, it typically ties up with other you know, reactive nutrients in the soil like calcium or magnesium or iron or something of the sort and precipitates out. And then it's really not going to move really at all as a general rule of thumb the amount of p required by your plants and i'm going to express this in as p205 is 25 percent of the amount of nitrogen you apply so we'll say if you uh applied two and a half pounds of nitrogen this year 
25% of that would be your requirements for P. So you did two and a half times 0.25. You should have applied 0.625 pounds of phosphorus for the entirety of the year. Say you applied 0.75 pounds of P2O5 at your time of seeding. Then you, but you only needed 0.65 to last for the entire year, but you apply 0.75. Then that's okay because in that one application, you applied more than the plants required, and the excess is going to go towards raising that P deficiency in your soil. Again, I talked about Doug Soldat earlier, um, and him and um, uh, the guy at University of Nebraska at Lincoln have done all kinds of crazy research on P deficiency, and it is absolutely amazing some of the weirdness you end up seeing as you start inducing phosphorus deficiency on these plants. I would encourage you, uh, I would encourage you to um, read and look at some of those pictures, you know, because they'll, they'll make a foliar application, for instance, of, of phosphorus, and, and literally they wrote it, they applied it in a P, look like the letter P, and for years it stood out because the, the rest of the soil around it was deficient, but in that area where they sprayed it, it was adequate. It was good. It was enough to produce a visual difference compared to the areas that were deficient. You probably have the best name on YouTube for when the feds leave. <laughs> That's funny. Where am I? Where am I? I thought on this other window over here, Nate said, don't water it in. Uh, let's see. How long should I wait after a fertilizer application to take a sample for a soil test? Well, it depends on what inputs you apply. If you applied all quick release inputs, I would say, um, wait 45 days. If you use like a, whatever slow release or an organic application or like something like, um, uh, what do you call it? Malorganite or something like that, I'd probably wait closer to eight weeks before I did that. Hey, Matt, you've probably been asked this a million times, but is winterizing that advantageous over just fertilizing early spring? Um, Robert, it all kind of comes down to how quickly you want it to green up in the spring. And the reason why is that when you have those moderately warm days in late winter, you know, say you have a day where it hits 65, you already start that uptake procedure to get, uh, to get a head start in the spring. And that if you just waited till the spring, you would never be able to catch it. So it's just, in my opinion, uh, I would never plan a fertilizer program that did not include winterizing a cool season grass. Warm season grass, no. I wouldn't be doing any of that. A cool season grass, yeah, I would definitely be doing that. My grass is friggin' hurt with all kinds of strange fungus, discoloration, frost kill, etc. I'm not sure if I should throw some fertilizer on it. Just let it go until spring. It's a mess. Uh, I, I would go put some ammonium sulfate on it and just call it good and see what happens. Uh, what are your thoughts on the rollout 
Football fields, ah, like what Arizona Cardinals and the Vegas Raiders do. Uh, is that Bermuda with a foot's worth of soil underneath? Basically, yeah. And the thoughts are is that that is literally as close as it gets to instant grass. So it's kind of a, a, a marvel uh, feat of engineering there of just hauling in sod that's been prepared in a plastic container with a ton of soil on it where there is no real significant time for the the sod to acclimate to a foreign soil structure you brought not just the turf you brought the entire soil profile that it's used to growing in with it too so there's no real delay in uh, or um, uh, a transplant shock that that occurs uh, I just randomly stumbled on this live, and I'm so confused. Are you talking about grass? Yes. Yes, indeed, I am. Got some yellow after the first frost on the tall fescue. Is that normal? Yes, by all means. For sure, that is super normal. Uh, I've got tons of little brown mushrooms coming up in my perennial ryegrass in the Pacific Northwest. They seem to favor the area I put down topsoil for leveling. Should I give that a shot of in this late in the season? It's not going to hurt. And yeah, and I'd say that's pretty normal for, you know, you, you see it all the time. If there's an excess amount of organic matter in one area, it's normally going to pr promote the development of mushrooms. The mushrooms are not going to hurt anything. There's no reason to get out there and try and kill them or you spray a fungicide or anything like that. If you, if they bother you, run over them with the lawnmower, kick them over with your feet. Uh, Paul Outlaw did a great video where he went out there with a container of fungicide and literally beat it with a plastic bottle to get rid of the mushrooms. I thought that was creative. Uh, can you give it a shot at in? Yeah, you're, you're not going to hurt anything by doing that right now for sure. Uh, I finally found that song from the video, Summertime by Rocky J. <laughs> Dave Henzel, the pH was 5.3 and the phosphorus was 16 pounds to the acre, which looks more squirrely to you. Um, I would be freaking out more on the phosphorus at 16 pounds an acre because that is eight parts per million. Uh, and that is a critical level of deficiency and not one I would pre prefer to grow grass in. So, you know, I, it's not ideal, but I can still grow grass in a pH of 5.3. Trying to grow grass without phosphorus is way more difficult, way more difficult. So, what I would do is I would go ahead and make an application of a starter fertilizer. And then the next thing I would do after that, after and, and this is after the grasses had time to react to that application of starter fertilizer. If you're not growing right now, I wouldn't worry about doing it right now. I would wait till in the spring, your first application for the spring, put down a starter fertilizer in that instance. Uh, so if you wanted to do something right now, then now, if you know you're not going to be doing that till the spring, cause the grass isn't going to be growing till the spring. Now's the time that you can go down with your, um, uh, lime to begin raising that pH. So that way when the spring comes around, you get down an adequate amount of, of, uh, phosphorus and then it's, it's go time at that point. I mean, you're just, you're rocking and rolling. Uh, it wasn't indexed to Google, so that really made it difficult. That is so weird that it was, and I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look it up because I may, I may end up playing it again. Let me throw it over here on the on the music and see. Man, this is the most. Well, let me do this. 
Yeah, I do. I do have it. Is this it? <laughs> oh man, we're gonna close out with that one. That's a good tune. Um, let's see. <laughs> What's going on, Seti Mac? How are you, sir? Uh, I tank mixed label rates uh, 7.0 GTMF about a month ago. It didn't play well. It ended up a white residue on the grass. Can you explain why? Yes. Uh, because you should, is 700 is not a chelated iron source. And it is, uh, GTMF has phosphorus. Phosphorus and non-chelated irons are not going to play well together. They should not be mixed and sprayed together. Um, and normally the the easiest thing to do in that scenario andy kelly is to take uh it, first off if you're ever applying phosphorus you should not be applying a non-chelated nutrient you should be applying micronutrients in general because the micronutrients will immediately tie up the phosphorus the only time you can get away with it is if you are chelating it in a very specific way so edta chelation will play alongside well with phosphorus um, citric acid chelations will not, uh, glucoheptanate, uh, uh, chelations will not, EDDHA chelations will. It has to be a true, fully chelation in order for it to play well with phosphorus. It's kind of like people, you know, did you hear me talking about phosphorus and, uh, and lime earlier? There's so many times I see people when they're plugging yards and they go ahead and they put down their starter fertilizer and they put down lime at the same time. And that is just a big, giant, no, no, because immediately all of that lime that you just applied is going to tie up all that phosphorus you, you just applied. All of it is going to be tied up. So kind of the same thing happened here. The phosphorus and the iron reacted and also uh, is um, uh, that that reaction is probably what caused the white residue on the grass. So I would not mix those two. Uh, I would not mix GTMF with anything uh, outside of fully chelated nutrient sources like EDTA. Uh, you can tank mix it with other MPK sources into water, uh, and you can tank mix them with uh, um, uh, herbicides and fungicides, but I would not tank mix it with a micronutrient source that is not chelated. Future forward! What's up, Chris? I've been learning a lot about MPK. Wondering your thoughts on results by applying the top of someone's... <laughs> Don't worry, Chris. We're all going bald. It's just fine. Uh, in St. Louis, I have a one-year-old rhizomatous tall fescue lawn. Just this week, I noticed the tips of many of the blades turning yellow. Is it going dormant early because it's RTF? Other fescue lawns are green. Uh, no, it's probably just tip burn from uh, a freeze you had. And it should grow out pretty quick as long as your temperatures remain. Uh, it's not going to go dormant any differently than other tall fescues, I assume. I don't know what kind of RTF you have planted. The only ones... I have experience with are the lateral spread varieties from Mountain View Seeds. Outside of that, I can't speak to any other ones. So uh, maybe if it's another manufacturer, that may be the case. But uh, with Mountain View Seeds, I've never seen that to, to be the case at all. Uh, and then the other thing, too, I would go look at is go look at those other lawns up close. Uh, 
and see as long as it just doesn't look green from the road and then you get up on it and it's not. The other thing that could have happened too is did you uh, uh, water pretty aggressively leading up to the freeze you had? Because if you had standing water in an area and it sheeted over with ice like that, sometimes that can cause a little bit more damage than what you're used to. So um, that could be it. I've, I've seen kind of all the above happen before, so I would need to know a little bit more about your specific instance to give you a, the best answer that I possibly could. Let's see what's going on here. Oh, Johnny Fescue asked, uh, are soil pH manor, uh, meters a scam? Uh, 90% of them, yes. There are a few that worked, uh, that work okay. But for the most part, yes, they are all scams. Um, normally, you'll see them in a glass tube. If it's in a glass tube, that's you know it's a real pH meter. Um, uh, but if it's not, then chances are it's not a real pH meter. Uh, is it bad? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm checking over here to everybody on the Twitch stream. What up, y'all on Twitch? Look at this. I got the multi-stream going. Uh, let me look over here. I just, I just lost your question. Where is it? Ah, yeah. Is it bad for trees when people create huge piles of mulch around them? Uh, I'm in a new construction neighborhood and all the trees, they plant about two feet of mulch around them. Yes, that is so bad. Yes. And I, I hate to say it that way, but man, B-Roth, that makes me want to run head first into the wall because it is just so unnecessary. Three to four inches is all it takes. Keep it away from the trunk of the tree, from the, the trunk of the plant. And even then, three to four inches is a lot. I mean, that's like, that's max where you want to be with the mulch. Solid ground. Russell Skipper in the house. What are you doing, good sir? Glad you're here. Uh, let's see here. What, what is this? Uh, thank you, Izzy. Thank you. Thank you very much, Izzy. Uh, torpedo grass quinclorac. There we go. Uh, that's, that's just what I would do. I do repeat applications of, uh, of quinclorac, and you should be good. Do you know of any studies done with beer making bioavailability or as use as a soil conditioner? Um, Lake Ratatouille, it, like real studies done or anecdotal stuff? Uh, because real studies, I don't think so. Um, because there's not really going to be anything in it that affects bioavailability. You know, you've got dead yeast and, uh, CO2. Um, so, you know, if you want to start manipulating bioavailability, one of the easiest things you can do is apply a strong acid or a weak acid would, would help with bioavailability, but beer, no. Um, and then as a soil conditioner, again, you know, you've got CO2, water and dead yeast in a very, very, very low concentration of it at that. So no, no, it's not going to do anything for you. How much different is it to manage Kentucky bluegrass in a tall fescue lawn? Tired of overseeding each year. Want to make the switch next fall. Uh, it's not that different. And you just, it, 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 same kind of disease cycles and all that, just different diseases, <laughs> right? And uh, pretty much same fertilization methods. I will say this is that there's more you can do in my experience with um, uh, 
Nah, I take it back. I'm not even go, going down that road. The, a lot of things, and I'll tell you, this is a lot what I see other people doing, uh, and a lot that I read about is, you know, people getting tricky with uh, zinc and manganese and uh, iron uh, sulfates as a, a way to manipulate the disease cycles of Kentucky bluegrass. I feel like there may be actually more availability to do things with that with you by, by utilizing different ratios of micronutrients in that sense to help with disease than you can in tall fescue. So, um, it's, it's just, it's different. Uh, it's, it's not extremely different, but it is different. Grass seems to be struggling a little around the tree in front and never has before. It has been a dry fall. Could it be the tree pulling more moisture than the grass? Yes, 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 yes. Especially if you've had a period of dry weather. By all intents and purposes, it has exhausted what is in the soil beneath it and has started moving upward to try and find water. And that's where it's starting to compete with your grass and then creating a problem. I wouldn't go just nuts watering it, but if it strikes your fancy and you feel like it, eh, pull out the garden hose and just wet it down a little more. Give it a good soak. Uh, so is it is bad to live and use starter fart uh, to lime and use starter fart at the same time? I did last year and saw some weird stuff. I guess it's best to lime later. Yes, you do not use those at the same time, Robert Butler. And it's okay. We're not, I, I, had, I shouldn't have used your name right there. Somebody go back and bleep that out for me. I didn't need to do that. That was my fault. <laughs> Is Jerry Baker a scam? I it's just not practical. I mean, not yes. Jerry Baker is a scam. I love Jerry Baker. I love Jerry Baker. And in kind of a pinch, it's great. I'm sure it's a lot of you, you know. You get to dip into the kitchen and see what I got in the cover and turn all of it back over to here and turn it back into that and back over to here. And it's great, and it's fun, and you see what it ends up doing, and that's great. But it's not real. You're not going to be able to make significant amounts of change because when you're putting a thimble full of ammonia in something, how much nitrogen are you actually putting in it? Next to none. I mean, really next to none. So uh, I, think it's, uh, I, I think it's fun. I just don't think it's very practical. How about that? Hi everybody. Uh, it is look 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 at what time it is. It's nine fifty two. I came on early, so I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna go hang out with the wife. I got a long day planned, and uh, hopefully, and coming up coming up soon here. Uh, Green Doc and I we're gonna be jumping on here and having us a a good little show. And send me on and commemorance of you, sir. Here we go. What's up, Paul's lawn care? Wait! Kill the music! Kill the music! Uh, one of the things I did want to uh, warn everybody about is everybody go show some absolute love to my wife. She has been working her absolute ass off 
over here on the fam factor and i gotta say it's it's actually been a lot of fun uh like a lot a lot of fun putting putting all these together so um go go hop over there give it a subscribe comment on a video if they're turned on <laughs> <laughs> JBZ hiding in the background, hiding in the background. <laughs> John, I was uh, I was kind of I was kind of uh, running running my mouth there, but uh, I met some some shit earlier going on. Just trying to be careful what I say. But everybody, hop over there. Show show my wife some love on on that fun stuff, and uh, and this is you know just f full full fledged stuff of my son trying to give me an absolute heart attack with every day of his life. Have two massive oak trees, which would pull moisture from my grass. Two and a one x or two x a day. Too many irrigation, depending on the temps at twelve p.m. and three p.m., made a world of difference. There you go. Good info. Now. Now, I'm going to get out of here. I love you all. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bring that beat back. What up? <laughs> that was way too loud. You look good in the summertime. Them tan lines on you make me want to run and die. You bring tears to my eyes because you that fine. I want to make you mine. Uh -huh. You look good in the summertime. Them tan lines on you make me want to run and die. You bring tears to my eyes. I can tell you so sweet You got the case and I just want to get a piece See, I know you, but you don't really know me Ain't trying to sound like a creep, but I've been watching Your attitude feisty and you know that they can't touch you You hard on the outside, but just want someone to love you If you give me the chance, I might be the one for you You need somebody loyal and somebody that'll spoil you When it's me, let me show you You look good in the summertime Them tan lines on you make me want to run and die You bring tears to my eyes